Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Marriage is like fashion, always changing, and now apparently, like fashion, secondhand is becoming more popular. But before we get into it, Nick, how are you and what are you drinking? I am doing great. I got some Bud Light and I want to preface this with we are not going to talk about marriage in the sense of this is not a marriage advice podcast. This is a what is marriage? Why is marriage a thing? Where did marriage come from? Who? When, <laughs> who is marriage? Who is marriage? Uh, and what's the current state of marriage? But uh, before we get too far down the rabbit hole, we're going to start off with evolutionary aspects of marriage and kind of work our way up to modern marriage. Traveling back in time a little bit, about 1.2 billion years ago, that's when scientists think biological sex came into existence. Beforehand, all organisms were asexual just to split apart or reproduce to whatever they need. But scientists think, about 1.2, that these organisms decided to have different genes and different sexes to help create more genes when breeding, thus creating more traits for survival, less chance of a disease wiping all of them out. Fast forward a little bit more, and we start seeing creatures that they're making sure that they're not having incest with their own with their own species, which we'll probably touch it with humanity because humanity is disgusting and repulsive at the same time. It wouldn't be until about 2,350, 300, 400 years ago, about four to 5,000 years ago in Mesopotamia, where the first evidence of marriage ceremonies is found. It's probably not the first. If it's a written record, it probably happened multiple times beforehand. But that was the first tradition in ceremony of it but in between evolution of bacteria splitting to have different sexes and mesopotamia our here early humanoid and human ancestors had small tribes and scientists theorize on keyword theorize we have no evidence either or they just think this is most likely that early men in these tribes were in a more open sex society rather than in monogamy that populates most of the earth nowadays it was more free love, more more polyamorous. But scientists think whether it be from jealousy, incest, population increase, or survival, that something very momentum happened in history where we no longer like to share. And we started breaking off into partners for life. And that kind of brings us into early Egypt. And I'm not sure if you want to hop in what the difference is between monogamy and Polyamorous. Well, I do want to say that that change you're talking about is, I believe, the invention of agriculture. And uh, before we get too far away from the first ancient Egyptian act- recorded marriage, I saw this meme that was uh, it was two males, two Egyptian. There's a sarcophagus, I believe is the term. Two, but instead of a male and a female buried together, it was two males, and the caption said. Two males were found buried in a sarcophagus in the same way that a man and woman would be buried as husband and wife. And this is the first official recording of roommates. 
<laughs> That's pretty funny. I am happy you brought up Egypt. I I think a lot of our traditions in the Western world all stem from Egypt. Like when researching this, I found that in ancient Egypt, the modern marriage in essence is the same in Egypt. So ancient Egypt was the first to develop wedding rings some 3,000 years ago. But I've seen papers that suggest that's even earlier than that. Nick, I don't know about you, but I feel like scientists cannot decide on dates or what happened first or why things happen when it comes to marriage. I think they're all just kind of guessing. I, I think so too. But I do think, and there's a there's a method to this reasoning, before we get too far into why I think this and why these people think this, I like you said, this is not settled science. This is people throwing out a lot of ideas of how we got here and no real good proof. And the best explanation I saw of this is that and I'm going to butcher this quote, social norms don't form fossils. So we have not a lot of ways to see, to record how people interacted unless it's written down. And if we're trying to figure out how people interacted before they learned to write, it's kind of hard. Bold move, Con. Let's see how that one turns <laughs> and, out. And we do a lot of projecting. Well, kind of backtracking a little bit with Egypt, because that was written down, at least some cer- uh, ceremonies, is an Egyptian marriage contract. It was a loose contract that was made, and the bride's family would give a dowry, and the bride would take her belongings to the groom's house, and that was it. They were married. Men, again, now take this with a grain of salt. This part, I couldn't verify. Men were not allowed to marry if they could not live on their own. Uh, the reason why I say take that with a grain of salt, because I think the average lifespan for ancient Egyptians back then is like 30 to 35 so usually males got married at 15 and females got married at 13. So it seems a little weird that they just already start their own place at 15 and 13. Um, but same with modern, well, not <laughs> not modern divorce, but if they got divorced, the diary would have to be given back to the bride's family, which would be quite a common occurrence throughout history. And something I thought was interesting, uh, virginity and pureness wasn't a thing when it came to marriage and early Egyptian culture like you could have sex before marriage and it was completely fine like there was a there wasn't really uh religion involved in marriage and we'll get into this later it is crazy how late the state and church really did get into marriage and I guess at least western cultures but they're here to stay so oh yeah unfortunately but uh, in case people don't know a dowry is a the price for a wife it's an insurance policy, in essence, to keep the daughter safe and insure while, and make sure she's treated well. And if they divorce, the husband's supposed to get the dowry back. And on the other side of the same coin, a bride price is when the groom pays for the bride's hand in marriage from her family. So, like, I'll give you, I'm probably going to get killed for this, but I'll give you uh, three horses for her hand in marriage. That's kind of a uh, bride's price and a dowry, like uh, some jewelry or something like that to... Uh, to sweeten the deal, so to speak. So getting back to what we think of before kind of the agriculture revolution, we tend to think of kind of more free love, kind of hippies doing polygamy. And what we think is more common was polygyny. I've, I've listened to it a thousand times. I'm hope pronouncing it right. And that's just where a man has multiple women um, under him. It's good to be the king. Yeah, pretty much. Just more like deer and elk, I guess is kind of what it reminds me of. <laughs> um, and the reason is that 
it's all resource based. So and I'm trying I'm to read this that uh, basically the, the quote is that a society with socially condoned polygamy, monogamous relationships may arise from ecological constraints, though not from social rules. So where you may have more polygamous type relationships, when resources become scarce, it seems that people tend to mate one, you know, one, one. And that gives a greater... Everyone's got their preferences in tight. And that creates a greater advantage for survival. Um, in this, they they did a study of tribes that uh, weren't qu- quite developed yet. I don't have a year, but... And they tabulated how what percentage was uh, monogamous. And hunter-gatherer cultures was 24.8%. Uh, simple horticultural systems uh 6.5% and that includes and that talks about says where women's labor is still critical so like they were still doing more work but when you go to agrarian societies monogamous relationships tended to rise up to 41% and uh they rose more for fishing cultures as well um and then once you got into more like states like a you know larger state you know, with a small, some type of small, what we would consider like a government or ruling council, it jumps up to 46% of larger states have socially imposed monogamy. So as society becomes more agricultural and more orderly, monogamy tends to follow. And I wanted to talk about humans as related to other animals. So everyone likes to relate us to other primates because we are in fact primates. So that, uh, that makes sense. Different primates have different ways of breeding. You look at some primates mate for life. And the interesting thing about when we say, when we talk about monogamy, only 3 to 5% of mammals are monogamous, but that's not really an exact number or not really a fair comparison because when biologists talk about monogamous animals, they're saying they mate you know, for a year or two, three years with a, one person. It's not very only a few animals are actually lifers like humans are you know or ideally are so it's not a straight comparison off the top of my head i can only think of uh, one type of bird that is a lifer mate but i'm always curious there's a a lot of cheating birds out there oh yeah that's for sure definitely a lot of uh, bird watchers as well uh there's some caveats i want to put out though I don't think it's just completely resource-based. I definitely think the psychology and the emotion plays a factor in monogamy versus polygamy. I imagine some people are more jealous than others, especially during caveman times of like, why does he get uh, all the best women when I kill the most mammoths kind of thing? And I imagine once he gets a person, he's like, no, you're staying with me and that's it. I imagine there's got to be that kind of thrown into the evolutionary mix. Yes, I wanted to talk about that too because... It seems like, so one, I forget the term for anthropologist. Anthropologist, personally, they're, they're all just a bunch of hippies. And I say that because <laughs> they all yearn for the good old days. They talk about how the invention of agriculture ruined you know, society and culture and all this stuff. It's like, one, all these things you're enjoying is only because, do you think there's, and if you had to hunt for your food every day, would you be a fucking anthropologist? I'm sorry. Have you ever had air conditioning? It's really nice. So it, that that pisses me off. It's like it's just frustrating. Don't get me wrong. I would love to travel back in time to you know do stuff, 
But I do eventually want to come back. Yeah, well, that's the thing about time travel. <laughs> People only want to time travel if they can come back to this time. <laughs> if it was... <laughs> no one wants to go to the yeah, before time. No one wants to go to the Civil War and stay there. And I also feel like, like you talked about jealousy. People make a time before agriculture, before you know, more monogamy was, was practiced as like this free love kind of hippie place. Like, no, people are still people. I'm sure, like you said, sure people got jealous. Sure people died from it. People didn't just suddenly become, start becoming jealous when we invented marriage. I mean, look at Wallace and Sea Lions. They'll plan to, the smaller ones will plan together to kill the alpha. I definitely see that happening in human history. But uh, there's something I want to bring back to primates a little bit. There's something I couldn't find when researching, and I'm very curious. It's got to happen, so it has to be well known. But how does tribes that are kind of close, because early humanoids was like, what, 30 to 50 for uh, nomad tribes? And like apes in the Congo are somewhere around 20 to 30. How do they bring in new gene pools to, to help facilitate their genetics? That was always... A curiosity to me, like, do they steal? Do they go to war? Do they make an equal trade of like, well, I have three women. I'll give you two of my women if you give me two of your women. Like how that was always curiosity to me of how was the early humanoids nomad tribes spreading genetics to from different cultures? Well, there's really two scenarios here, right? You have people would all get together and, and trade and swap genetic material or people would steal it. Uh, <laughs> so orgies are rape. Yes. I was trying to put it in more, a little bit more pleasant terms, but yeah. We're talking about marriage. There is no pleasant terms. Um, I guess this is a good point to, in the show to point out that, um, I, I am married. Mike is not. Mike loves marriage. He hopes to find a, a nice, nice girl and settle down one day. That's, that's what you want to do, right, Mike? You got half right. It'd be nice to have to settle a, down one day. <laughs> <laughs> either or either one of those like they're both right just not right together <laughs> each statement it's half right so just to get our own our personal views on marriage out there um so if, if you think we're biased that's probably where we're coming yes. from <laughs> <laughs> the, the answer is from me is yes oh i didn't say i wasn't biased oh. i was just saying this is this is what our biases are <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But go, kind of going back to humanoids uh, and with animals, because switching up your genetics, I mean, that's why we, our organism ancestors switch from being asexual to having different sexes. Uh, they think that's why incest is so taboo in just the world and just throughout history. It's because we naturally know from years of of evolution that if we have sexual relationships with a close genetic similarity that it, it will produce all uh, bad offspring it will have less chance of our offsprings being survival uh less chance of fertility like all these things so we just naturally know it's not going to work and i thought that and that's why and by it's we died off so much you mean the royal we ex but not but not the royals <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah, which is why you see whenever they examine like some. Why does Tukankamen have a cliff lake? Yes. Well, his. <laughs> oh, oh. 
Well, because his parents are his 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 dad married his sister. So there you go. I'll be honest. I if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong with this, I think Tutankhamun's mom is his sister. Yes, it's some. It's super fucked up. Sisters, sisters, definitely in there somehow. Yeah, royal. And it's not. It's not just the Egyptian royal family that did this. It's pretty much every single monarch. I don't understand. I know, like, why? Like, I understand. Like, you I gotta understand. keep it pure. You've seen Game of Thrones. Look it, at the, the fine <laughs> genetic specimens that are the Lannisters. <laughs> ooh, ooh. The only one that made it out was a dwarf. So, ooh. <laughs> maybe not the best example. But everything from the British royal family to Empire's worst rich. example. Yeah, correct. That that. Well, how many incest examples can you think of? Well, we got the English, <laughs> all of England. <laughs> we got the French. Might be. Oh, we got God, pretty much yeah. every single monarch. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, but I thought that was an interesting trait. From that's why that's why I brought up how do primates and tribes, uh bring in new genetics into their nomadic culture it's because well we know that incest is bad now that being said it was still pretty common throughout until like the 1950s that marrying your cousin was not that taboo so uh, obligatory alabama joke or i'm pretty much at the end of the incest jokes (laughs) oh don't worry i got some arkansas jokes later on the podcast for you isn't Arkansas the joke? Well, that mm, touche, touche. Um, but I did want to go back to something we were talking about about different animals being monogamous and polygamous. So, and and humans, where we fit into that. So, more monogamous animals tend to be a one to one size comparison. So, males and females tend to be the same size. More polygamous animals tend to be uh, males tend to be bigger. So, an example would be. Uh, sea lions, the, ma- the the walruses, walruses, male walruses, which kind of fight each other for groups of women, usually are two to three times as big as the females. One would say size does matter. Yeah, when you're fighting other <laughs> other animals, you're fighting people. Size does in fact matter, which shouldn't be super surprising. So, like I said, one to one animals, male and female the same size, tend to be monogamous. Humans tend to have like a one to one point women are one men are 1.15 so we're very close to each other but males tend to be bigger which leads scientists to believe and again not completely settled science people will debate up and down this is just what i have read and i'm again biased because i've read two books i read uh, the red queen by matt something and sex at dawn by christopher ryan and they're kind of had a similar hypothesis in that humans are monogamous but expected to cheat so men tend to be bigger because we do have instances where we fight each other for resources but not to the extent of sea lions where it's commonplace for the most part we tend to have monogamous relationships where a male will cheat on his wife and a female will cheat on her husband and this is evidenced by like of a, a like for just to throw out examples, a woman's more likely to get pregnant by not her husband than her husband, and the reason is gen- evolutionarily what we think is that be- is because a female will find a good husband, like someone who will protect, provide for the family, 
but then find someone who has better genetic material to be the father. So you get the best of both worlds and vice versa. Whereas, uh, you know, a, a male is just spreading his genetic material and he is, you know, spreads it that way. So he, he's advantaged by having a wife who, you know, helps him out at, at home, whether that's in our modern era of being at home in, you know, before modern times, this is things tend to change. Marriage has never been more equal in terms of resources than our modern era. So our views of marriage right now are tainted from in the past where like, if you look at even at an early agricultural society, you have a men doing a lot of the work and women kind of supporting them. Now, when you look at marriage, I'm just prefacing this because I know a lot of people are getting pissed off right now. <laughs> now, marriage is like, like I said, as pissed off as people are about marriage, it's literally never been more equal with more men and women, both having jobs, both working there. No one's tied to another person, right? Like a woman can pick in the past, a woman could pick a male who has, you know, a good, good piece of land or whatever. Like he's not going to become resource poor and find genetic material elsewhere. So this is what's we're, this is what scientists kind of think, some scientists think is why we men tend to be just a little bit bigger and our societies tend to f have this kind of, we have socially imposed monogamy, but there's so many examples of people cheating and that's kind of what we see in the animal kingdom. Birds do this a lot as well. Birds do this, like the same exact thing I'm talking about. Well, you know, f build a nest and stuff and the female will come and birds are very jealous. Birds are constantly trying to figure out if a female is cheating. And sometimes if she come, if he comes back and thinks that she's cheating, she'll just leave. So it's not, not just humans. This is behavior that's exhibited all over the animal kingdom. So I wanted to say a couple things. The first being, it is very interesting with affairs. I don't remember if I said this in the previous episode, but for men who have an affair, it's most likely it's more majority of the time could it be only once and done. For females, it tends to be a longer thing and a higher chance of breaking off with your mate to continue the affair. The second thing you said is with size, we might be one to one point five. I still feel it's a little different with humans compared to different animals for that size comparison, especially because. It, all right, let's just say eagles. If you have a female eagle and a male eagle, the only really major difference is size and strength. Uh, for humanoids or humans, there's a lot more different tendencies psychologically wise. Like um, early ancestors use rumors to control and get power while males tend to use physical violence. That's a whole different slew. So I don't know. I There's definitely comparison but i don't know if it's an equal comparison well another thing is that uh like for monogamous relationships i'm trying to remember the train of thought uh, but basically an example is that human testicles are bred so that we can have like a lot of sex men have larger testicles than most monogamous in relationship to the rest of their body than most monogamous animals most most we have larger penises than most animals like for per per body size yeah. cuz that too i mean it's it, for especially for primates women have breasts the whole time not just when they're breastfeeding so there's a lot of display that happens with humans which kind of leads more towards the 
polygamist article, which is why, or polygamist side, which is why people have this debate of whether we were originally polygamist or monogamous, which is why I think that we're both, which is why I, I personally, I think that we are kind of like, you know, most mammals where we're mates for a while, but there's cheating involved or adultery. I forget the scientific term for it. So I was going to actually say this for divorce, but I think it's very appropriate now. So I assume everyone listening is familiar with the honeymoon phase. Well, there's an actual scientific thing through the honeymoon phase. For modern times, it's because of birth control throws it off. For ancient times, I imagine there was still a honeymoon phase because it's new, it's exciting, it's love. It might be something taboo like, oh, you are cheating, et cetera, et cetera. But in modern sense, honeymoon phase is you're with a partner, you're in love with them, et cetera, et cetera. All these chemicals are going through your brain. But some months pass and there's no baby. And that's usually when the honeymoon phase is after like a 9 to 12 month period. And that's usually when the honeymoon phase ends. I imagine back then is probably something very similar. And that's why we wanted to cheat on our partners if we were monogamous or that we were a little bit more open because as we get later into the podcast, boy, religion really threw a wrench into marriage. Yeah. And so I want to go back to something you said about chemicals in the body. And another reason why I think that we lean more monogamous is that we share our brains produce all the same chemicals that other monogamous animals do. So for example, all the dopamine and stuff that happens, you know, after you went while you're in love with someone and all that stuff, that's a chemical reaction that happens with other animals that are monogamous animals that are like purely polygamous, like just straight up having sex all the time, different partners, no long-term relationships don't have that same set of chemicals being released from sex and, and not just from sex, but also when they're just around someone that they mated with. So our bodies are set up for monogamy for a period, like you're talking about for a honeymoon phase. Now that's going to be I'm sure, different for different people. I'm sure the length just based on you know genetics, but I, I do think it's one of the reasons why I think that, you know, we talk about, not we, it seems like a lot of scientists talk about humans pre-agriculture as being like this straight up, you know, trying to think of like Greek Roman orgy that who cares kind of thing. But our bodies just aren't set up that way. We're set up to fall in love. We're set up to find partners. Now, whether, now if you wanted to put, you know, a for life or for however many years, I, I don't know if that's completely appropriate a honeymoon standpoint, but I, I do think it's not unrealistic to say that we ch- believe we're trying to mate for life and that we, some people, you know, exhibit those emotions for their whole life, get those same chemical reactions. But I, I, I can see, you know, I'm sure it's different for everybody. But to me, just see, just that alone really makes me think that we've been mostly monogamous for a while. Like it's, it's coded into our immune system, or not immune system, our nervous system. I'm going to disagree with you. I think it's about a 50-50 mix between polyamorous and monogamy. A big factor to me was we're one of the few species in this entire planet that has sex for fun and that we don't have a breeding season. With that to me, like I don't I imagine it's dependent on what century you are and location, but I from what I saw researching this, it's depending on your culture, it's monogamy is in season, next season, 
polygamy is in season. It's it just kept transitioning. It was so fluid that honestly could not say overall, but for ancient times, that one was defined. Modern times, it's a little bit easier. I would say it's definitely monogamy, but ancient times, I think it was just a flip of a coin of when and where you were. But that's not enough time to change the way our brains rece- receive chemical impulses. Like I'm saying the the framework for long-term relationships and the all the dopamine, cortisone, whatever uh, shit that you get, it you, humans get it from being around their partner, not just from sex. So I'm saying that, but we all have that. But we all have that, but we might be able to get it from multiple partners. We don't necessarily have to get it all from one partner. If you're if you're a chieftain of a tribe and you have four wives, yes, I agree that you probably have your favorite, but I still imagine you're getting those chemical connections with the others as well. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like you like you said you'd have your favorite, and I feel like that's just it's a monogamy with extra steps. It seems like. Uh, to me, it's just like hedging your bets. Uh, I I wouldn't say it's extra steps. I would just say it, hedging your bets. I I I think we agree on the same thing. I think we just it's, it's just different viewpoints. Yeah. No, I, and that's why I said not settled. Not not that we don't agree. Not settled science. No one agrees, and we're all projecting our own personal opinions into this. I mean, we're we're trying to we're trying to make sense of crazy data. To be honest, yeah. With you. And, and I guess the point that I'm making and that, that you agree with is that I I don't think either of us think that we're a completely polygamist relationship, like just free love kind of thing. And I, I don't think that 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 there's much scientific proof of that because our animals that do just have you know sex with what whoever whenever don't have the same chemical releases that we do. So to me, I, I think we're more closely aligned more to the monogamous side. But to your point, that doesn't mean that we don't have sex all the time with random people. This is, yeah. Uh, that Well, that's kind of where I'm going with the polyamorous. is like sometimes you still have lust for things you can't have, so to speak. But I am curious with the other animals on, is there a direct correlation between fathers that stay around for their offspring versus ones that don't. I I feel like there's a direct overlap with that happening. Your question is for animals where the father doesn't stay around, is it different? But still... But still mate for life? Yeah, I I imagine there's got to be some animals that mate for life but are not necessarily good fathers, but I imagine there's opposites where they're... I wonder if majority of the creatures that mate for life are caring for the offspring equally. It's not really just the female's position. I don't have a great example of this, but I do feel like there's an animal where they mate for life, but they only mate once a year, and then the father you know, goes off and does whatever, and then they just find each other during the mating season. Mating season. But I can't think of what that animal is. I wanted to say tigers, but I know that's not right, but it... I feel like there's got to be some correlation between all of those of how long, because like we said, there's birds that do it for like 10, 15 years that scientists considered monogamy. But then after that 10, 15 years that they're still alive, they will switch partners. That's, it's a little bit different in my opinion, if you're one partner for life and you're caring for the children, that's all a big effect in my mind of monogamy versus polygamy so i'm trying to find it and i'm probably not going to be able to find it 
um, in my book, but in Sex at Dawn, they talked about a study. This isn't exactly what you're looking for, but I think it's really cool. There's two species of, I believe, voles, and they, one species of vole mates for life and the other does not. And what's the, the pleasure? Is that dopamine? Dopamine's like happiness. So, I think serotonin dopamine is like happiness. Okay, yeah. so, and I think it was dopamine, but don't quote me on this. It could have been another chemical that's released. So they took the species of voles that mated for life, and then they had a control group of those species that mated, and then they had this this the group they're experimenting on, and they put what we'll say dopamine. I can't remember exactly if that's it. Dopamine blockers in that animal to see if they stopped the drugs because the the voles that mated for life and the voles that didn't, the voles that didn't, their bodies didn't produce those chemicals like the happiness chemicals like the voles that mated for life did. So they blocked, they used some kind of, I don't know, medicine to block the dopamine from coming out of the voles that mated for life. And then after that, those voles would mate, but then they'd leave. Whereas the voles that still, that, didn't have their you know chemical receptors blocked they made it for life so it's really like same you know very similar genetic pretty similar species but once you take away the chemical sensors in the brain you're no longer mating for life like it was that simple well at the end yeah i mean to be honest with you we're able to tweak creatures and ourselves so much i i forget i don't think people realize how pliable we are to play with along with every other creature but it, I mean, it makes sense of probably the brain has two different parts of its organism of one is mating, making sure you spread your genetics as much as possible. And that's why I think probably humans cheat. It's just a, they necessarily want to get uh, dopamine fixes, which is trying to produce new spouses and such like that. Uh, and but yeah, it's it's just very simple chemicals that kind of make up who we are. So I thought that was really cool and not exactly pertinent to what we were talking about, but slightly pertinent. Well, something I think is pertinent and kind of bring it around, around that has ch- it's kind of a bridge between the past and present is the age of marriage. For most animals, it's within like their first two to four years. And for humans, it used to be pretty much for females 13 and for males 15 throughout pretty much all of history. That was extremely common. It's uh, it's very it's very interesting. It was breed as quickly and as early as you can. I mean, the best example I can come off with with the top of my head is just think about Romeo and Juliet. If I remember correctly, Juliet was like 14 and Romeo was like, what, 17 or something like that? I don't know. I didn't really like that book, but that's what I can remember. I think you're right. I mean, on the dates or ages, I should say, that was the norm. Yeah, no, but that's really fascinated, fascinating to me because I would say 13 to 15, you're not exactly fully capable on your own since probably where the phrase it takes a village to raise a child comes from. I mean you're from. not allowed to drive a car. It, true. It you're but well, unless it's Alabama. Well, you, I mean pretty much anywhere you can get an agricultural exemption for I think I for exactly the age, but Oh, I was making an age joke, not a driving joke. Oh, my bad. Went right over my head. <laughs> East mountain down. Uh but I imagine that's got to play a huge evolutionary role when it comes to monotony versus polyamory. 
Because imagine all the chemicals you have going through your mind when you're going through puberty. That's got to change so much in evolution-wise. Of I, I, Honestly, this is just very abstract, and I don't know if it's accurate, but I'm just throwing it out there. I wonder if our puberty phase in history was like animals in heat phase. You know, instead of uh, once a year being in the rut or in heat, humans just had like seven years where they were just raring to go. Like 12 to 19, just constantly wanting to breed, constantly wanting to uh, produce offspring and stuff like that. I wonder if that's like our breeding season. For a long time, that was your lifespan. Yeah, well, our life, I mean, what, it was when we were still nomadic, it was like, what, 28 to 35 I think that's given it a lot of that. I mean, most of the founding, like royalty not too long ago died at 50. Yeah. Yeah. But we also used to fucking have lead hats and, and, and drink liquid cocaine. And we're better for it. They, they might've been, honestly, it's, uh, it's not how many miles, but the miles you put in, but that was just, that was just, I, I just wanted to point out how in humans across all cultures, across pretty much every century, until maybe the 1970s, 1960s, early teenage marriages were common and breeding happened during those ages. I mean, that's a good point. I never really thought about it. It doesn't, it seems plausible, but haven't looked into it. Not, I, I mean, know this you're is saying a pseudoscience that it either, is. But... We can throw shit. <laughs> we can just throw whatever we want. Somehow it's accurate. That's what, okay, this is what's frustrating is we can sit here and talk about this and say this is pseudoscience but the people who do study this they're like no this is this is settled and everyone's saying something different it's like have have a little self-awareness right like i had to double my scientific articles i read just to compare the results of each to make sure they were getting the same numbers guess what they were never getting the same numbers yeah well that's like in uh like for and you're gonna hate this if you say trees i swear to god wildfire Oh, well, this, the science enough. on it, it's it's so variable and there's so much data and it's impossible to recreate because it all is different based on fuels, topography, where it is, time, you know, time of year that it it is very much like a pseudoscience. It feels like because nothing can be recreated. But the people who study it are very sure, like in, when I was studying this in college, were very sure of everything they were saying. But you just look at the papers and you can easily find something that refutes it because it's so variable and we just we just don't have enough volume of data to compare it to that it all feels like pseudoscience and everyone is so everyone in my college when we were studying this all the students were very we we always joked about how much of a pseudoscience it was but the people who were studying it were like no this is this is settled but it's not because we just didn't know enough <laughs> It's settled for three months. And on the outside looking in, it's very easy to say this is not settled. But I, I imagine once you're inside it. <laughs> once you're inside? Yeah, exactly. Some uh, Since we're still speaking on pseudoscience, I do want to throw something out here. I'm, I have, again, no evidence to back this up. This is just food for thought. I imagine weddings. I'm... I, Again, for obvious reasons, associate weddings with marriage. Who would have thought? I imagine a lot of the beginning marriages before written history 
was done because of festivals, like, you know, the harvest season, uh, kind of almost religious fertility traditions that just slowly transformed into weddings. That's my best guess on where marriages come from uh, of early history. Because every culture has their own ceremonies. It's different depending on what decade, even if it's the same culture. But I imagine, you know, it's early September. You got tons of food. It's just going to have a big orgy party, kind of early uh, polymist tribes just going at it. Or perhaps maybe early religion, they have fertility gods. I mean, think about how many fertility gods. Fertility gods are some of the oldest things ever. Think about a large belly woman with supple breasts, like all the statues created across all cultures. That's probably got to relate to some type of festival. And so I imagine the weddings were just kind of like a beginning stages for a breeding party. And that's how we're marriages and weddings kind of came to be like a ceremony like a ceremony like some crossover i'm not and this is just this could all be hockey puck i have no clue but this is that's just my best guess of where weddings start to form yeah i didn't really look at when weddings started to form i mean it seems plausible and like uh we talked about oh yeah two callbacks here so one we already talked a little bit about it but if you haven't listened to was it what do we call it human mating system human breeding season Oh, what if what if humans had a mating season? That's what it's called. Yeah, so what if humans had a mating season and the Christmas tree one? So the Christmas tree, we talked about how Christmas trees, basically a lot of celebrations that happened in winter just because we needed something to celebrate. So yeah, I feel like we just are looking for any example, any reason to have a party. So two people finding love might not be too far off to say let's just have a party yeah you know me get mead and wine gets passed around all of a sudden you know like hey let's go have a roll in the hay uh but i am very curious there was no census in ancient times i wonder i wonder if a lot of people had very similar birthdays i wonder if if you know having a widespread birthdays of all throughout the year is more of a common feature of modern society compared to ancient times where it's like, no, we have excess food. We're locked up in for the winter. We're just going to have some rumble in the jungle. And then nine months later, the kid's born in the fall kind of thing. Probably. I I feel like it's pretty common that most people would have, get pregnant during the winter. I feel like that's a, because even now when the winters are particularly colder and people stay inside, the birth rate goes up. So I feel like that's not too hard to believe. So we talked a lot about how marriage has started, the tradition of marriage, how it's become part of society. Not all marriages last. We're going to talk about why marriages end, specifically now where we're seeing an increased rate of divorce, at least in the United States, there's more developed countries. Um, where do you want to start, Mike? Well, I was going to say, it's like uh, it's not like the ancient times where you can just cut off someone's head and be divorced from them. Now there's uh, actual laws. And, well, this is kind of an older study, but in 2012, one in five adults, 25 and older, has never been married, which I thought was surprising. And with those 25 and older, postgraduate degree students have a less odds that they will never be married, which is weird to me that the higher educated you are, the more likely you'll be married. To be honest, I thought it'd be the opposite. Yeah, and I want to, I guess we should, I should have started 
it with this way. When we talk about marriage, we're we're seeing a, now a lot a lot of people spend more long term relationships without getting married. What is the distinction that marriage is? Well, from what I gathered slash have seen, the difference in people who have been together for ten years, people who have been together ten years, you know, and are married ten years, pretty much most of the difference is legal. So state when contracts. You're married, you can thank the Romans for that one. When you're married, you have certain rights, you know, like you're going into the hospital, your spouse can come with you, your boyfriend, your girlfriend cannot. When you die, your spouse can have your estate, your boyfriend, your girlfriend cannot unless you have a, you know, a, a contract written up. When a boyfriend, girlfriend split up, there's no legal, I mean, yeah, there's probably going to be a legal proceeding, but it's not going to be as bad because you not everything is you know in each other's names as much generally when you're married that's when you start to see joint bank accounts joint loans stuff like that so for and and that's one of the reasons why i think marriage is different than just a a long-term relationship is in fact the contract because you're setting up a contract for life unless you which is becoming not more common but more prevalent I wouldn't call it common. People have, but you're seeing examples of people doing marriage contracts, like legitimate contracts, you know, for five years with expiration date and are going to split, you know, money X amount or however by the, at the end of five years with an option to renew. I don't think that's very common, but I've seen a few examples of it. I don't know, kind of interesting, but uh, I don't think that to me qualifies as like a marriage. You know, that's like a lease on marriage. I still think it comes as marriage. Honestly, I think I think I do agree with your definition, though. It's marriage, thanks to the Romans and religious organizations, boils down to it's a contract for a life partner. It's the contract is the key word. And uh, well, death and taxes. Uncle Sam's going to have a say in who you marry, not marry. And all throughout history, whether you're the Roman Catholic Church or if you're, I don't know, a Chinese dictatorship, you always get to choose who can get married and not get married. But yeah, I completely agree that marriage, is it boils down to contract and paperwork. And this is kind of like, kind of left field, Nick. How much, from a person who's never been married, I am so far that one in 25 adults, uh, I'm sorry, one in five adults, how much paperwork is there before getting married, like to sign and stuff? Pretty much none. I mean, out of it's uh, more paperwork to buy a house, more paperwork to purchase a car, more paperwork to sign up for healthcare, more paperwork to start a new job. Literally, it's like two pieces of paper. Boy, that makes me hate on how much those two pieces of paper, how much power they have when making decisions. I mean, it's not because the idea, it's not written. I, I don't like so I guess from someone who's been married I say that like I'm no longer married but I'm still married <laughs> the what, what's his the name? paperwork <laughs> the paperwork is only for the state the the contract is between the two people that's what your vows are for and so the paperwork is mostly just to let the state know that you've entered this in agreement with this person and we not that we set up like different financial systems in in writing but the contract between me and my wife was between me and her. The state 
is just recording that we entered into a marriage contract, right? Well, that's so, also that's actually dependent on state, country, and time in history. That's that's very that that varies quite a bit with multiple variables. Yeah, I'm sure. But to me, that's the way I felt when I got married. Because really, the we just I mean, really, what we did was we applied for a marriage license. And then we signed our marriage certificate. Wait, what do you mean? Wait, sorry, sorry, everyone listening. You have to apply to get married. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to send in. So you you have to apply to get your marriage license or certificate. So you send in like to the county, the the state that the state that you're getting married in. I don't know. It might not be different for we. I got married in Alaska, which is in the state I reside in. So I had to have the paperwork. We had to submit it a certain amount of times before we were there so that we would have it when we were there. Because I think there's like a waiting period in most states. You can't just get married the same day. So you apply, you send in like your request for marriage certificate or whatever they want to call it. And then they mail you the certificate and then it's signed by the person who officiates it. And then the witnesses, the people who were there, and then you send it back to the state and they send you back the official certificate for legal purposes one this is all new information to me again i didn't research into how one gets married two i wonder how much las vegas has to deal with you can't get married within like a 24-hour period well i think they i think that's different in vegas <laughs> what happens in vegas stays in vegas no i really like there's certain states where you can apply and get a marriage license the same day i'm sure nevada is one of them mm. alaska is not so the only Again, I've only been married once. I'm still married. Uh, so I only have one data point. It's one more than what me. I do know. <laughs> and my wife did most of the paperwork. So, I mean, she, yeah. Smile and nod, boys. Smile and nod. Exactly. Well, something I thought was interesting. From the U.S. Census in 2019, so this is all pre-COVID, keep this in mind. Wyoming has the highest marriage rate, which I thought was surprising. Delaware has the lowest. I never thought about it, but as soon as I read it, I'm like, man, that kind of makes sense. For divorce, D.C. That doesn't really make sense to me. I would think colder places would have higher marriage rates. Well, I'm thinking Delaware has the lowest rate because how small their population is. Okay. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Uh, for divorce, D.C. has the lowest rate, which I was surprised. I wonder if that has to do with education and professionalism with uh, D.C. And guess who? Uh, I find this hilarious. Uh, for divorce, the state that has the highest divorce rate is Arkansas. So I guess when you take that test and find out it's your sister, you want to <laughs> break up as soon as you can. There it is. <laughs> I can't help myself. I like dumb jokes. But yeah, it was just, it was just, I, it was extremely interesting to me to see the studies that the divorce rate with your education, the higher educated you are, the less likely you are to be divorced and the more likely you are to be married. Now, with this, the, at least the research I came across, it's not so much prevalent in women versus like a, a high school degree versus postgraduate but it is more prevalent in men which is weird because you would think it'd be about a 50 50 like whatever happens to one side happens to the other but for the people 
not married or divorced tend to be male rather than female. I'm just thinking about all of my friends who are mostly male. And yeah, that, that checks out. I know a lot more guys who aren't married than girls who aren't married, but that could be because I am a married guy who hangs out with other married people or, and I don't just have a lot of girlfriends. So, uh, well, I would certainly hope not. You're in a monogamous relationship. I also don't work in an industry with a lot of women. So, uh, yeah, you're telling me, uh, but something also I thought was really interesting. So, like we said, divorce rate is growing in the United States, which I'll want to touch back on in a bit. But something I thought was really interesting is studies show that if you get a divorce, the chances of you getting another divorce again significantly increase. And since we're talking about interest, I just want to throw this tip of information out there because I thought it was interesting. Since we're talking about industries and, you know, what we see and what we don't see, for both history, well, modern history, so 20th century, 21st, and 21st century, and modern times, there's been always an age preference. According to the data by a Conray Beam, uh, men prefer younger women, on average two to four years younger than them, while women tend to want men three to four years older than them. So that kind of still fits in with the early stages in human evolution of 13 and 15, uh, it's just now that we pushed up, what's the average age for getting married pre-COVID? It's like 28, 29. I thought it was younger, but I'm, I don't have the number in front of me. Let's I'm, see if I can find it. I'm pretty sure it's 28, somewhere around there, which it, it's just, again, this is all pre-COVID information. I can't imagine how much that has changed, but it's just, uh, it's just weird. It does a theory of what i came across of why the age gap is not as crazy as people think even in ancient roman times and greek times and egyptian times is because men tend to be more in their most desirable position the older you get because you have either money saved up you have positions of power you have just power in general you have more features that make you more desirable to be a better mate and the reason why men tend to want younger women is because they're more fertile. They're a better chance of a baby survival. And it seems like some of that is carried over into the 21st century. Sorry, can you repeat that? I, I, so so I, was, I was emphasizing on how the data showed that men still want younger girls and women want older men. And that kind of fits in with ancient times, mainly because modern times, and I'm talking like 1980s and up, Men tend to come into their prime around 35 to 45. That's when they're most, you know, where they still have physical features. They still have, they're, they're financially secure. They have positions of power. They're more likely to be a better mate to have the survival of their baby. And for men, the reason why a lot of men want younger women is because their time frame to have babies, the the, for the legal ages of like 18 to like 30 is kind of like prime time for fertility and it tends to be much more desirable so that's kind of where an age difference is which kind of travels back to ancient times where there's that age difference beforehand it's like the older they are the more trade skills they have for males but the younger they are the more fertile they are and most likely to have a healthy baby yeah that makes sense i was just trying to honestly buy time while you found uh 
the number. But what I did want to talk about is kind of on the same thing about age of marriage is how they, if you marry later, you have a better chance of stay of staying married. Not not saying if you know someone longer beforehand, you have a better chance, but later age, you have a better chance of staying married. And so I wonder how much of the difference in education is more just about maturity level before marriage or if the later marriage is more successful is because people who marry later tend to be that more educated group kind of a chicken or the egg situation i don't know what your thoughts are on that i saw those studies to separate never in relation to each other i i agree with you i think it's both column a and column i think it's multiple it's a multivariable situation I think it's when you wait to have more resources to have a baby, it's most likely the marriage gets survived because you're less stressful. Uh, again, the more the more, longer you wait, usually on average, the less children you have, which is just a feature of, and that kind of ties in with education, just a feature of like, we don't need as many kids. We'll put, we'll focus more of our resources on one or two rather than seven. Um Again, we also now have babies for different reasons. Uh, back in the time, back in ancient times, it was literally just we need numbers for labor, and now it's more like we want children. It became less of a necessity and more of a want, but that dr- that biological drive is still in us. And I also agree with the whole age thing of I mean, your frontal lobe, no, not your frontal lobe, your brain doesn't start stop developing until you're like 25 or 26 for most adults so if you're waiting just a few more years your critical thinking goes up you're making better decisions you're more financially stable you can kind of see your prospects of your mate because let's be honest nick 10 years ago when we were both 17 and 18 we were completely different i was dating my wife at the my my future wife at the time all right touche but i would still say that we who we were when we were 17 and 18 is still very different than who we are now. We've changed. We evolved. We've matured. So we get to, when when we have a different mindset and be a little bit more solidified on who we are, we can kind of choose the more correct mate. And yes, your situation is a little bit different, but I'd say right. it's not, not super common situation. I get it. Um, for context, I married my high school girlfriend, We've been together almost nine years now. We've only been married for two years. Um, anyway, something that I don't know if you saw that divorce is more common in lower income brackets. And the reason that I saw for that is what do people fight about mostly? Money across all, uh, not separate, separate studies. I saw that divorce was more common among lower income, but I also saw that like what what are people fighting about like the, mostly people are fighting about money and so when you're a resource in a resource scarce that's a more stressful situation to be married in than to be you know if you're if you're not worried about finances all the time it's a lot easier to get along with someone when you're not t- having to make tough decisions you're not having to constantly be like oh we can't afford this we can't you know no why did you go out and buy this so it it puts less strain on the relationship. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. But there's something, there's, again, the data is all over the place. So I don't know what's true, what's not true. I also saw a major reason for divorce is economic 
is independency. So now that people, I mean, a lot of people used to get married because it makes your life more financially stable to be married, or at least that's how it used to be. But now with more people be able to work and support their own selves, it makes divorce higher. So I thought I, it's kind of interesting. I think both sides of the spectrum are both correct, where if you're worried about rent, lights, food, electricity, it's more likely to divorce because it's just anger, frustration. You're taking it out on your partner. But also on the other end, if you're more economically stable and you don't need someone else to support you, there's less chances of you getting married. Maybe it's like you said a little bit earlier, going to a marriage contract. But now independency, I think, is causing a large disproportion of divorce rates of you don't need a two-party home to be to have a house in a nice life. Yeah, like I said earlier in the podcast, marriage has never been more equal than right now. When you have, It's more common to have both partners working in about similar jobs. It's more common, you know, to, to have, and, and what that does is one party is not reliant on the other. So if you're in a bad situation, like you, you can leave, you're not tied down in the sense that you were before. Now, and, and I say that, and I don't mean, oh, if one little bad things happen, just leave. But I, I think you're not seeing this, uh, you know, what are my prospects without this person? I might like, I, I don't have a job. I don't have skills. That's not as common. It's more common to have both partners working. So it's it's an interesting time. I, I don't think it's marriage has been like this for a long time. No, I don't. I don't think it has. I don't think it's ever been like this. And uh, another caveat I want to add. Again, if you are highly, if you're if you're a male and you have higher education, you have more likely chance of being married. But with recent times, uh, not even just recent times, just the past couple decades, higher education in males has significantly been decreasing. I wonder if that has a factor in the divorce rates. I mean, it's it seems like it could because we're seeing you know more men struggling to find a partner than we are women, and you're saying that your that men have a decrease in higher education, whereas women are increasing. So I mean, that that could be part of it. But I I and I think that it's not necessarily well. You'd think it wouldn't be that way. I, I what I was going to say is I feel like age and maturity plays a higher level and it's kind of shown by higher education because you're probably not most people most kids don't get married and then finish college they usually finish college and then get married but that wouldn't make sense well can, to put on my tinfoil hat can it can i can can i tell you why i think there's been such a giant uptick in the last decade of divorces go ahead i think it's because of the internet I think for the first time, humans are not limited towards their mates and marriage partners in the local area. And it makes it, one, easier to cheat on your spouse. And we were already doing that before the internet, but now it's just even easier. And two, I think it's kind of like one in the hand versus two in the bush scenario, where you keep wanting to postpone marriage until you find that absolute perfect partner even though the imperfects make the person perfect. I think the internet, I think just having such a worldwide connection makes us overwhelmed with our choices, like too many choices kind of scenario. So I, I imagine if like you're married and you've been married for like- So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's like uh, 
what's the song the pina colada song <laughs> getting caught in the rain but it but it's not your partner that you, <laughs> that you meet yeah i mean i mean just imagine someone right now has been married for five years and either the husband or wife or husband husband or wife wife blah 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 blah, blah. they're scrolling through like instagram or snapchat or youtube or something like that and they just see some really hot person and then that leads into a fight or a really hot person they think oh maybe i should oh man i i wish my partner looked like this or oh man it's ever since getting married my partner's put on weight or stuff stuff like that i imagine that's got to be a big factor of always seeing the grass is greener on the other side yeah i can't believe i didn't even look at any of that well, in your defense, you are married, but you don't have social media, so my, this doesn't apply to you. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, that's got to be. It's never been easier to meet someone. I mean, look or at the. There's there's literally apps for affairs. Yeah, that's I was just gonna huge. literally was gonna say, look at <laughs> hey, Ashley Madison. Now, Nick, how do you know the name? Because it's in the news all over the place. Touche. When it got leaked. Touche. Touche. Yeah, but I, I just I just imagine having quite literally billions of potential mates at your fingertips has got to change of do you want to stay with your partner or not. That's why I feel like earlier when we were saying evolutionary-wise that we just keep going out of monogamy to polygamy just depending on what time and era. I think we're, doing, we're seeing a switch from monogamy to polygamy. I mean— I don't think like I don't think we're gonna have like free love like Woodstock kind of style. I'm thinking we're just gonna it's just gonna be kind of normal to be like casually be dating multiple partners or to or to only be like in a relationship for five years and constantly move on. I can see that happening very easily, and I think we're just another shift from monogamy to polygamy. Yeah, I mean, I think our whole culture is in a state of moving around. I mean, not just marriage. So. Like the generation before us, because we are, what what are we? Millennials. We gen, we're millennials. The generation before us used to stay at their jobs for their careers. Like moving jobs wasn't yeah, you'd have like as common. Two jobs, three jobs your entire life. Like in both, like two early ones in like high school and like, and then your trade school and then like your main job. That was like your life. And so, and now just with the availability of jobs and seeing what's out there people are like oh uh, that new job looks pretty nice they're gonna pay me more i'm, I'm gonna go over there whoa i'm not and gonna I be working like, 100 hours a week whoa and yeah i think to your point they probably you know social media is the same way looking looking for you know a new new mate just like a new job uh don't think it plays out the same it's definitely a lot messier but i do think that we for a culture that really doesn't like change we transition a lot like we i mean the the groaning when a new phone comes out and it's got different features and all this stuff we we hate every single thing that changes but we're constantly buying you know the new version or changing jobs left and right what are they there's a term for what's going on right now where people are switching jobs so often can't remember what it is do you, you know not a clue but I think, and this is just from the married perspective, I think that's not, I, I think that there's, okay, so there's two things going on from someone who is married when I see, like, my friends get married. One, and I say friends as a loose term of people who I know who are on social media. One, I see people get married after, like, a month, and then they get divorced, like, you know, 
in a year and everyone's like what how could this happen it's like well we never we could tell you that relationship was heading for disaster i think people are getting married earlier because i think that the price of housing and, and shit like that is just it makes more sense to have a two-income household so yeah I we're turning people, into england yeah so i think you need to be partners with someone to just you know live in today's day and age and like you said it doesn't work out so you get divorced and personally it to me i I just and this is where it's tough right it's like i'm not saying you need to stay in a shitty relationship but at the same time i don't think if you know if everyone knows it's going to end in flames it's like why (laughs) love is blind my friend love is blind it just feels like it's it's cheapening like what actually like what a marriage that is you know supposed to be like it's turning it more from a a life contract to just like like you're talking about a a three-year contract and i feel like we should have different terms for that like i'm totally fine if someone wants to have like a three-year contract like hey it's expensive as shit we get along really well i know i'm not going to spend the rest of my life with you you know you're not going to spend the rest of my life with me let's just see where this goes with an option to renew like cool that makes sense don't know if marriage is the right term but i don't know it's just it's so frustrating like not and i'm not even you know people this sounds like a religious argument for this the sanctimony of marriage but it's just me and my wife aren't particularly religious but it is a, a binding contract that we made to each other you know a verbal contract partnership and it's like it is just between us, so I guess it really shouldn't matter what other people are doing. But it's just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your fucking life? Like, I don't know. It's just, if you're doing it for tax purposes, like, fuck, you know, fuck the man. I get it. But it just seems like it's so, I don't know. It just, these. we all know someone who married someone after like a month. And then everyone's surprised when they get divorced a year later. It's like, how how did you not see this coming? Yeah, that's when I feel like Captain Obvious there. Uh, but I do agree with you. I think all these divorce rates, because I think divorce rate is above 65%, if I remember correctly, for here in the United States at least, it does feel like it cheapens the word. Uh, or at the very least, uh, subsidizes the market. It feels like you put so much time in it. it not to, I, I'm comparing it to what I know. It's like uh, you build out your house, you know, you make your lawn look nice, you, you do all this. And someone else moves in your neighborhood and they literally have a car on cinder blocks and crabgrass growing. It's like, what the fuck, man? It's like we both are homeowners. You're 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 affecting my house ownership, but it's like you're affecting on how the world proceeds marriage. Well, and I think in in kind of going along with your point, that the danger in that is that we've I would say we've made it so easy to get a divorce, but it is extremely costly. But we've, as a society, elevated the individual above the collective. And and I'm not saying in like a communism type sense, but of like a, oh, like, well, if there was a little bit of hardship, like you got to get out of that. And it's like, it's not as much that it's ruining like the, the sanctimony of marriage. It's more of it setting the precedent of anytime something is difficult, leave, not just across marriage, but across everything. And I'm not saying that's a reason to stay at your job because, oh, if it gets difficult, you just got to suck it up. 
but you didn't make a binding for life contract with your job. I mean, I'm assuming you didn't. There's a difference between that and slavery. There's an intimacy level that's on a different level. Um, but I will have to say, from an outsider's perspective, not being married and stuff like that, uh, a major reason marriage is very cautious for me is because I know how much humans change. I know how much humans can change within a year, let alone 10 years, 20 years. And that person might not be the same that they were five years ago. And if I fell in love with X, but over time it like changes to Y, I might not love Y. And that's that's a concern for marriage. So that's why I, I agree with you. There should be a different term when you're just like, hey, we're just... Uh, we're just testing the waters, kind of like, on, I'll be honest with you, growing up, I always thought was you find a girlfriend, you date a while, you live together for a little bit, you engage, then you get married. Like the living together was kind of like testing the waters because you really know someone there and then the engagement is like with the pressure of the wedding. I That's just how, like might have been from television, it might have been from media, but that's just how I perceived it. So seeing people in a different scenarios, seeing people in different years, different times in their life, it might not be the same person you fall in love with. Because unlike in history, in history, the poor could be able to uh, to marry for love. The rich were marrying for treaties or stuff like that. But a lot, a majority of the marriages were for economic basis. If you happen to like the person, fantastic. Yeah, I want to point out marriage for love didn't really start until the Enlightenment. Actually completely disagree it started in ancient egypt they used to do poems courtship and stuff like that we then the Roman, i guess in our modern time right like that was the started there and continued to now because i feel like there's a time in between there where it wasn't the same yeah no i uh, that i agree with it again I, marriage is like phases things come in and out of fashion consistently of what's what's popular what's not popular what's What's common, what's not common? What do you do, what do you not do? And it's, I, I will agree with you, there was a giant uh, increase in marriage. And that was that was actually mainly because of a monk. Uh, it was a uh, Benodine monk named Gratin who actually pushed for consent for couples in marriage rather than the family's approval for marriage. And eventually that would become canon law. Uh, so he was a huge influence for having love in marriage. But I think we're at a transition phase, maybe, where marriage is no longer necessary for a better life, but marriage is just for love. And does the love really need contracts? It's an interesting question. So I got another kind of going up of the divorce rate. Did you Did you see what year of marriage you're most likely to get a divorce in? Say that again? What year of marriage you're most likely to get a divorce in? I did not. The first year. And from what really? I... Really? I would have guessed like you're going through your midlife crisis kind of phase. That's what I thought too. But I think what it is is a lot of people get married right away, realize it's not for them, and leave. And these are the reasons I saw for that. The first year of marriage is a lot of transitions. A lot of times that first year, you're moving in together, maybe you're buying a house together, you're merging financials, you're doing a lot of new stuff. And so I, 
guess for me, so for my first year of marriage, we had been living together. We had already merged our financials. So there really wasn't anything new. So our first year of marriage really didn't feel like a first a year huge marriage hurdle. And I'm going to want to talk about that later. But I, so for that's what I saw as the reason for being the first year of marriage is so difficult. So I think what we're seeing is a lot of people get married right away. You know, you're in that honeymoon phase. You think this is it. Then when the rubber hits the road, you got to merge your financials. Suddenly someone's telling you, you can't spend money on booze, guns, and beer. You know, you, you can't go fishing all the time. You know, we, we have to cut back on this. Life gets a little bit more difficult and you're starting to think, man, is this really the person I want to be with? And then a lot of people are just like, nah, bro, I'm out. <laughs> and so if you can make it past that first year, you're, you're doing pretty good. Uh, statistically, you're, you're pretty much, you know, you're not in the clear, but that's when a lot of people get divorced. That's why very quickly I went from, oh, a lot of my friends are getting married to, Oh, yeah, a lot of my friends are getting divorced. Huh. Well, I also have to imagine... All right, so st st stick with me. This is another kind of tinfoil hat kind of going off what you did. I imagine divorce has to do a lot with having kids and not having kids. So in the 1950s, it was quite common. You get married and you probably have kids within the first year or two of getting married. Well, once you have kids, you're in a long-term commitment. And since... The amount of people having kids is significantly decreasing here in the United States. I imagine, whether consciously or subconsciously, divorce comes because their body wants to have kids even though their mind does not want to have kids. And that friction of not having children or that friction or being frictionless of not having children in a relationship changes the dynamic of divorcing versus not divorcing. Like I imagine a lot of people stuck through shitty marriages simply for their kids. But now that people are waiting longer to have kids, it allows you more free time to leave a relationship or not, and vice versa. Because people are not having kids, they consciously or subconsciously want to have kids. And because they have that void in their life of not being able to breed and pass off their genetics, they create a divorce because of anguish, because of something they crave but do not have. Yeah, I never, I never really thought about that. I mean, obviously, um, yes. People, everyone's familiar with people staying together for for the kids. There was a there was one couple who did a contract like like you're talking about did a legal contract of marriage for you know how until their kids graduated like it was open ended to whatever date they graduated high school. I was like that. It seems cold hearted, <laughs> right? Like it seems like I understand having like a five year contract and you know seeing where it goes from there, but I feel like once you get kids involved and you're you're planning on splitting up like that just seems a little bit fucked up to me yeah i uh, i don't know how the planned divorce or the planned contract would affect child development because i imagine if you have a contract saying we're just gonna do five years someone might have a kid from a previous marriage someone you might have a kid during that five years i'm just wondering how that affects the contract i wonder how that affects child development as well i also wonder how polygamy affects child development because i know it takes a village to raise a child but if it's a non-consistent village i wonder if, how that affects as well yeah that seems like another podcast for another time <laughs> um, but speaking of the first year of marriage or something more philosophical i guess i wanted to talk to you about marriage 
So we were talking about how the first year is the hardest. And a lot of that is transitions. You're doing a lot of new stuff with your new spouse. And I was having a, a discussion with one of my friends about marriage. He's more religious than I am, but we were both talking about things you do before, you know, you're not supposed to do before marriage. And one of those things is move in together. And his idea is that, and I say he's religious, but he is, he came from a religious background, but he's, it's not like he went to church or anything. I'm just saying that this is, you know, kind of what he's drawing on the lessons of the church. And part of the reason that you don't move in with someone is that it's like I talked about with my wife, our first year of marriage didn't really feel like, you know, a first year of marriage because we were already doing all the things. So you're supposed to save some of those things, right? You're not supposed to move in together, not supposed to have sex. You're not supposed to merge your financials until after marriage. So that marriage seems, or not seems, but is a greater life-changing event than just saying vows to each other. If I can add a caveat point here, that also depends heavily on what religion you are. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd say most Western religions, that's pretty pretty common. You're not supposed to live together and not and again i wouldn't say religion i would say societal like uh we like my wife's side we did not tell her grandparents that we were living together before we were married and they're not religious at all but it's a societal thing see that i mm, i think that's a little comedy comedy i imagine because their grandparents have hurt their age i imagine they're born sometime pre-1960s I imagine religion played an expectation in their life and they just simply had different uh, marital status. And again, it's like fashion things go in and out. For me, it's... But my my grandparents knew we were living together and they were like a little bit younger, but they were... My grandma was religious growing up. So I feel like that's... It's not a perfect comparison. Well, I'm... I And like I said... When anthropologists talk about marriage, they use the term societal influence monogamy, and that a lot of times society for you know forces monogamy for a lot of times resource based reasons. But there's a lot of societal influence that goes into it. A lot of times that takes the form of religion, but I still think it's a societal rule. And I think that I'm not saying there. I'm saying there could be a lesson in there about you know ignore the religion thing and just say. I guess the question is, I think I kind of think there's some valid lessons in saving some things till after marriage, whether that be moving in together, you know, merging your financials, stuff like that, as opposed to doing everything beforehand. And then marriage is really just you saying the quiet part out loud. Like you've already done all the things. We've moved in together. We moved to a new place. You know, we've shown commitment. The last piece is just filling out the official paperwork. And since it's just state paperwork, it just feels like bullshit. I, I half agree. Because for me growing up, it was common and kind of expected if you you live together before you get married. I don't know if I was just in a bubble or a different aspect, but that was the common norm. Uh, I do agree perhaps something should be saved until after marriage. Uh, I think that's just dependent on your tribe. Well, if you come from a religious background, maybe you're celibate until you get married. Personally, for me in the modern world, I think you just don't really combine finances until you're married. 
that's about it. Honestly, financial me, celibacy. Yeah, honestly, to me, marriage is just making it official. Like everyone knows you're already the ma- old married couple, even though you're not married. It's just, just now it's the the state gets their part of the cut. It's just, and I guess that's from my experience. It's not just me. Pretty much all of my friends, when we got married, it's just like, oh, what's it like now that you're married? And everyone's like, no change. And the people who are like, oh my gosh, it's so much different, divorced. So, Well, it makes me happy if I ever do get married that my plan seems to be the better plan. So, I, like, I'm not saying that one's right or wrong. You know, I've, I'm two years into a, a, a life commitment, so I can't tell you where, you know, I'm no expert. Like the man uh, jumping off the 22nd floor. So far, so good. So far, so good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just... I feel like there's a little bit of wisdom there. Didn't follow it, so <laughs> don't feel like I'm worse off for it. I just now looking back, I'm like, okay, I can kind of see where they're coming from. Nick, are you familiar with the duplex theory of love? No. So this is a clusterfuck, but I'm going to try to simplify it as much as I can. The duplex theory of love is pretty much a guy who combined a couple theories together to come up with a different theory. Now, imagine a triangle. The top part of the triangle is intimacy. The bottom part, corner, is passion. The other part is commitment. And different relationships have different uh, features. So you could have like a mix up between passion and commitment, passion and uh, intimacy, or commitment and intimacy, and, you know, a mixture. Well, according to this theory, the best marriages are the ones that are the most balanced between the three of intimacy, passion, and commitment. And it feels very, I don't know, th- this... This triangle of love, it's not a love triangle, but it seems dumb to me, but also not dumb at the same time. Like, to me, it makes sense that there's different types of love and different types of marriages, but I I got to imagine there's got to be some common features for marriages that last the longest or the most stable. Yeah, I'm. well, that's the thing. There's, there's not, right? And if there are, there's so many outliers. I mean, everyone knows some couple who just got met each other and then got married after a month and have been together for however many years. Outliers, but they're there. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I feel like people have tried to find common factors and just have struggled or someone has easily refutes it. And I f- that's why it's just a pseudoscience is I don't think anyone's been able to put a number on a successful marriage, whether whatever those metrics are using you know, to say all successful marriages have this or all successful marriages have that, it, I just haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. But you know who did put a number on something that I think is full of shit is the British. I saw an interesting study. Well, study is a... Uh, yeah, sure, we'll say study. They may, they wrote a book. There's a, gr- a group of British social scientists. And Nick, they think all they think marriages will stop happening in 30 years from now. So about... 2050 that marriages will stop i don't think that's going to happen to be honest with you yeah i don't i don't see that at all but what do the british know about marriages they tend to cut off one's head yeah the british don't know a lot about a lot of things (laughs) i'm glad i'm glad i got a slight chuckle out of you they do know a lot about giving independence days they don't know know a lot about heat And all their love ends like Romeo and Juliet. 
I got some interesting tidbits information. I didn't know where they would fit in with any context, but I decided to find some things that, Nick, I think you might enjoy. So, Nick, do you know where the white wedding dress comes from? I have no idea. Well, speaking of the British, in 1840, Queen Victoria of England wore a white dress, and because she was royalty and wore it, it instantly became popular. And that's where we get white dresses for weddings. I was going to say I knew that, but no, there's something else Queen Victoria did that just became popular because she did it. So, yeah, (laughs) I did not know that. Another interesting tidbit. In Fiji, when a man asks for a woman's hand in marriage, he has to go to the father and ask for permission. And when he goes to ask the father, he must present a whale's tooth while doing so. That's pretty cool. Pretty good, good dowry. In China... They have bridesmaids, which now has turned into a whole business of professional bridesmaids. And you'll understand why they're professional bridesmaids for a reason. In China, there's a thing called bridesmaids blockage. So the bridesmaids block the groom from doing the venue and he must prove his love and get by them. Well, it used to be, you know... They must. The groom must dance. He must sing. He's usually somewhat humiliating himself to prove his love. Well, occasionally he turns violent. Occasionally he has to fight his way through the bridesmaid's blockage. And in recent years, some people got fucked up. So it created a new business, a professional bridesmaid's blockage, which these are professional women who are able to fight if the groomsman tries to do anything. So they're trying like they're defensive linemen right to keep the groom from the wedding what's the point of all this yeah yeah to stop the marriage i don't get it to to make sure the groom really loves the bride is willing to like so he's gotta beat up a bunch of chicks to prove that he loves his wife that's what's kind of turned into it used to be him just kind of humiliate himself and make himself have humility but now it's kind of turned violent in some regions and the last one nick that I saved just for you. This is a Germany tradition, which I don't know if it still exists, but it used to be a thing where couple, before they got married, during the ceremony, they had to saw a log together to prove that they were a team. And I saw a tree, I saw cutting log, and I saw marriage. And I'm like, well, that's Nick. Those are two of my favorite things. Trees and marriage. I definitely should have sounded more energetic saying that. Very <laughs> condescending. <laughs> That's fine. I got, I got what you're saying. And there's no way a, d- a divorce lawyer will ever use this against you. Well, I let my wife do all the financials. So if we get divorced, I'm fucked anyway. <laughs> but there is a lot to talk about marriage. We will definitely be covering stuff in ancient traditions, stuff like that. We kind of just wanted to talk about evolutionary and divorces. But Nick, this is mar- like real marriage. Talking about marriage is a clusterfuck. Yeah. Well, it's a lot easier to talk to your friend about marriage than it is to talk to your wife about marriage. So that's a theme that's not going to go away. That's why marriage is hard. Uh, I have to say this because I haven't said it yet. I do, in fact, love my wife. As and a gun's pointed to your there's head. There's 0% chance she's going to hear this, but if I had talked for almost two hours about marriage and did not say it once, I feel like bad things could happen. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I didn't bring it up because we pretty much just talked about 
male penis size and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and how that relates to how people have sex. So, uh, maybe not the best yeah. time to say, I love you. <laughs> it's never a good time, I guess is the message there. Uh, but, uh, before we get out of here, Mike, what are you reading and have you made any progress? Well, if you must know, I'm reading a new book. I am reading Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I have yet to start it. It is sitting in front of me, but I have started a new book. What about you, Nick? I have also started a new book. Very dry. <laughs> Ooh. Resource Allocation in Conifers. And it's about stress and how trees choose to use their nutrients. That book just gave me stress. I don't think I want to read it. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. I'm <laughs> here for it. Uh, and you're going to hear about it later because I'm going to have some great minis for you. So be fucking ready. But thank God I have the rum. And lastly, I have a question for all our audience listening. If you made it this far, bravo, I like you. What's the weirdest wedding tradition or wedding story you've ever heard that one I'd be really curious about. There's got to be great ones out there. And Nick, where can they uh, tell us their stories and history? Well, you can hit us up on Instagram or Reddit. And if you're saying weird shit, uh, you can also drop the worst proposal you've ever seen. Because I think that'd be, that'd be a good funny. One. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.